This is a new thing. Um, so, whew, a little weird. I've been building to this for about probably about 16, 17 years. Dr. Alex Lloyd and welcome to the new Jesus. Um, I guess I would entitle this Predestination Part 2 <laughs> or maybe Are You Predestined? Uh, one of those probably works pretty well. Um, this is a deeply controversial subject even among believers or Christians or followers of Jesus. Uh, even more controversial for those who are not, okay? Uh, but as I said last week, I grew up in church and in a private Christian school and in a Christian home, all three places, and I never heard this passage discussed meaningfully, okay? I heard it a couple of times, but it was basically just, oh, that doesn't mean what it seems to mean. And that was it. And I was like, whoa, 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 what, what does it, don't worry about that. I mean, let's go on. And I believe now it's because they just didn't have a good answer for it. All right, let's review a little bit. Um, again, we want that best outcome every time. If you experience fear, anger, when your life is not in danger, you can be pretty sure you're in seek pleasure, avoid pain. Doesn't mean you're not saved necessarily. Doesn't mean you're not in a state of grace, but um, you're not experiencing what you could be experiencing because of a wrong belief. Fear and anger are coming from a wrong belief. All right? Um, love is about faith and dealing with seek pleasure and avoid pain and our end results, whether they're going the way we want them to or not, dealing with it God's way and giving him control. And really the whole purpose of that, of the pain and suffering, and we've looked at this in multiple scriptures, Old Testament and New, what that pain and pleasure is supposed to do in us through our flesh is if we give it to God, is we will learn something that will take us up a little bit higher or that we need to know to get unstuck. We will grow and mature as a person in wisdom, in our emotions, thoughts, relationships, and connect relationship to God, other people, and even ourselves in love. Uh, so many people hate themselves or don't like themselves or don't know who they are or, you know, something like that. Uh, need to connect to yourself in love. And that's the Einstein, you know, the unexamined life is not worth living. That's kind of what we've talked about as far as you have to go on your own journey to discover the de facto, the true worldview. Because a lot of the worldviews are mutually exclusive. They can't both be true. They can't all three be true, okay? Uh, well, which one is? You have to go on that journey for yourself or that's not really your belief. It's your parents' belief or your siblings' belief or your spouse's belief or the preacher's belief. 
But that's not your belief. Well, it's not, if it's not your belief, then you don't have faith. You're walking by sight if you don't have belief. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Hebrews 12, the big faith chapter, okay? Um, God can't eliminate faith because faith, it, without faith, it's impossible to please him. That's, that's the deal, all right? And real, true belief and faith always points the way to love. Truth points the way to love. Truth points the way to the correct belief. The correct belief points the way to love. Love is our best life. Whether it means pain or pleasure, usually means both. Right? Um, if you're measuring life by seek pleasure, avoid pain, comparison to other people, how your expectations turn out, the end result, your accomplishments or lack of, other people's opinions of you, if you're measuring your life by those things, and in my experience about 9 out of 10 people are, you're measuring your life by the wrong variables. You're measuring your life by the wrong factors. So you may judge yourself to be successful when you're utterly failing, or you may judge yourself more likely to be failing when you're really not. That's the most common one I've found. Those are the wrong factors and variables. Uh, let's review Romans 8.28. If you are predestined for those whom the Lord foreknows, He predestines to be conformed to the likeness of His Son, and for those people, He, he justifies, He glorifies he all that stuff all right for those who foreknown he predestined he called justified glorified what does justified mean he declares you are right you are righteous we've been talking about that even if you just committed the sin god declares you innocent and righteous because jesus paid for it and it doesn't have to be paid for twice all right Jesus is interceding for you at the right hand of the Father. No one can bring any charge against the Lord's elect. Who's that? The ones he's foreknown and predestined. All right? And um, God is at work continually. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father interceding continually. All for you and because he loves you so much. Um, we talked about grace and the Corvette example. I hope y y you felt that, uh, that you were the kid who wrapped the Corvette around the tree and were afraid of being punished or what your father was going to say or just guilt over doing such a big wrong thing, okay? I hope you felt that because you can feel grace, okay? Uh, the kid with the Corvette, that was a true story. That's where he learned grace in his life. Uh, one time with Harry, my son, man, I blew it as a parent so many times, I can't even count that high. One time I got it right, okay? And um, Harry broke uh, Hope's favorite lamp, okay? And... 
doing something he should not have been doing, and he knew he should not be doing it. So kind of an intentional sin, even though he was a little kid. He broke the lamp, and um, Hope was really upset about it and gave him a face that made him start crying, and something came over me, I think it was the Holy Spirit, and I ran to Harry, grabbed him up, said, Harry, don't you worry about that lamp. That is not important. You are what is important. Don't you worry about that for a second. That's just a thing. That can be replaced. I love you so much. You matter. That doesn't matter. Well, three times after that, and I mean years apart, Harry came to me and said, Hey, Dad, you remember that? Yeah, I remember that. He said, That's when I really started to believe and really know that I am loved just the way I am no matter what. Well, good grief. I got one right out of a whole bunch wrong, and the one I got right, all I did was pick him up, hug him, tell him I loved him, that doesn't matter. I mean, I didn't, that didn't require any big sacrifice on my part, all right? What God did required death. It required, I believe, the most pain God could possibly ever go through. The death, horrible, uh, humiliating, punitive death of his innocent son. All right? So, what the dad did related to the Corvette, yeah, that was a pretty big deal, pretty great. What I did toward Harry, really no big deal, okay? What God did for you and for me is just unbelievable. He stepped in front of me in the firing squad and took my death. Now, if I was God, if I was all-powerful, I'd never choose that option in a million years. I mean, we might find another solution to create men and women and have a loving relationship with them because that's what we want to do. But once that option was on the table, I would immediately veto that. No, 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 no. Forget that one. Bring one where we don't have to go through horrible pain. All right? God did not do that. Okay? Because he knew there had to be real paid-for grace, that it was all about love, there had to be justice, which means that the grace is paid for, and truth always points the way to the correct belief and to love. He knew there had to be those four things. So, to pay my price, there had to be a sacrifice, and it had to be a perfect sacrifice so that it not only paid for me, but would pay for you. Typically, it'd be one life for one life, all right? But for the perfect sacrifice, it could be one life for all in God's determination of what is just. Not just love, but just. All right? So what God did for you and me was, oh my goodness. I mean, if somebody did that for you in real life, or let's say your child, they literally went to their death for your life or your child's life. How would you act toward 
that person's family the rest of your life? Would you just, oh, thanks a lot, see you later, have a good life. Would you, oh, I just cannot ever tell you what this means to me and what can we do for your family, okay? That's how you would respond unless you're psychopathic or something, all right? Or, 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 or a sociopath or schizophrenic. That's how you would respond. I mean, when someone does something awesome over the top for us, man, we appreciate it. Thank you. Unless something's really, really wrong with you, okay? Well, you've got to get to that place with God in relationship where you experience that grace, where you experience that you wrap the Corvette around the telephone pole and he is totally forgiving you. You're all that matters. Don't even give that a second thought. But a few days later, oh, by the way, if it's not too much trouble, would you mind cleaning my car up a little bit for a meeting I've got? Um, oh, my. So, so that's the family of the guy that took my place and died for me. And that family, sometime later, is saying, hey, we hate to ask, but we could really use your help. Uh, we're moving from one house to another. Um, could y'all possibly give us a hand for a couple hours on Saturday? How would we respond to that if we're not a sociopath? Yes! Oh man, I'm thrilled for the opportunity to do something to help them. I wouldn't be alive. My child would not be alive if it was not... What God did is way beyond that. Okay? When you experience that in relationship, in relation to God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, when you are pricked in your heart as they were on Pentecost in Acts 2, you too will be changed and it'll, it'll eventually, sometimes quickly, turn your have-tos into want-tos. Okay? Uh, automatically. Now, it doesn't mean you won't ever have the have-tos again. Yeah, life is still going to be like this. Not ever going to be perfect in this life while we've got this fleshly body we're attached to. Okay? But, it can be, instead of just like this, it can be like this where we keep going higher and higher. Okay? It may be three steps forward, two steps back, but that's still a net of one step forward. All right? Okay. All right. Um, so, and, and if you're in that situation, nothing can separate you from love. You will always be victorious and you will receive God's grace and love. And it will change your have-tos into want-tos. Okay. Um, responsibility versus accountability. Now, uh, we kind of left last week talking about you have a ticket already. If, if you have committed your life to God, to Jesus is my Lord and Savior, I'll never do this right, but I'm going to do it as best I can, and I will never walk away, okay? At least that's what I believe, all right? 
then even if I'm right in the middle of an intentional sin, if I can still say and mean it from my heart, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, He's the Son of God, I'm committed, then I'm in a state of grace, which means I've got a ticket right now. Even though I'm right in the middle of intentional sin or right after intentional sin, I've got a ticket. I'm saved. Like the Willy Wonka, the, the golden ticket. I've got a golden ticket. All right? Okay. That's sort of where we left. And, um, well, and, and then we talked about the, the study, the new, the new study, where they found that over 75% of the time, people will lie about what they're thinking. Over 75% of the time. Because of they don't want to reveal a sin. They don't want to reveal something that they're keeping a secret. They have one life they're living for image and another life internally. They're trying to project one picture of their life when what they feel is really something very, very different. And that's normal, by the way. But, but we talked about real love versus fake, and if 75% of what you would say is a lie, that is for sure fear-based. That is for sure to seek pleasure and avoid pain. No way that's even close to love. Unless it's a situation like a robber comes in and says, with a gun, and says, where's your wife and children, and I believe with everything in me that he's going to kill them if I tell him where they are. Well, I'm going to lie. Okay? I am. I'm going to lie. Okay? I believe that the best love-based action I can take in that scenario is to lie. Because if I tell him the truth, he's going to go kill them, which is bad for them and bad for the robber. Okay? I mean, even if he's a sociopath, chances are that's going to affect him negatively at some point in the future. All right? Lots of those guys have come around after a period of years and been a totally different person. Okay? So, anyway, if, if you would lie 75% of the time, I mean, that is sort of showing the intent of your heart to one extent, okay? But that could just be because you're trying your best, but you know you still keep sinning, and you think if somebody knew about your internal sin or whatever, then they would reject you, okay? Well, maybe you lie, but you're still trying your hardest to be what God wants you to be. You're still committed to God. You would still say, uh, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, etc. So even in that situation, you know, we talked about how you can have conflicting beliefs about the same thing. Well, as long as you have the belief and intention that you believe Jesus is your Lord and Savior, He's the Son of God, and you're committed to Him long-term as best you can, as long as that's still there, even if you lied 75% of the time, which is what the study found, I believe you could still be in a state of grace because you can have the intention 
for God and love and also in weakness tied to the flesh, the intention to sin based on pleasure and pain. Okay. Um, and then we talked about how would you feel if you were with someone for 50 years and then at the end of that 50 years they said, I, I confess to you, I never really felt love for you. I tried to love you, but I never felt that. And yeah, I was kind and all this other stuff, but if I'm honest, if you had not been this way in our relationship, or if you'd started messing up what I wanted or didn't want, my guess is I either would have wanted a separation or divorce. Um, and I'm sorry if that hurts you, but I'm just feeling like I need to get this off my chest. You know, we're both pretty old, whatever, all right? Um, how would you feel? If somebody told you that, and you'd been 50 years with them, believing they loved you, and now they're telling you, no, I never really loved you. You were just kind of a means to an end. Wouldn't feel very good, would it? All right. Well, what are you doing? Are you really loving people, love B? Or are you fake loving people, business deal love? I'll act loving as long as you're doing what I want and not messing up what I want, okay? Um, I think that'd feel pretty bad. Maybe even devastating, okay? Um, and then I wanted to start today after a review, and I really am working on trying to do this faster, but boy, this stuff is so hard to wrap your head around and deep that it's more important to me that you understand it correctly, okay? And we talked about that with the parable of the sower, all right? Where uh, John 1 says Jesus was the Word. In the beginning, there was the Word. Jesus was the Word, okay? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, etc., 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 all right? Well, the parable of the sower says it uses the analogy of a sower sowing seed. And it says the seed is the Word. Well, John 1 says the Word is Jesus. Okay? So, the seed is Jesus. The truth about Jesus and who He is and God as the Father. And uh, that's what's being sown. That's the truth. That's the Word. That's Jesus. Okay? And it says that it'll fall on all kinds of different soil. On some, it'll grow into wonderful fruit. On some, it, it'll die. On some, it'll be um, choked out. On some, Satan will come and snatch it away before it can be understood. And if that happens and Satan steals it away before it can be understood, it will never lead to good fruit. Okay? So understanding the truth is critical. And if you believe you are guilty, if you believe you are not in a state of grace, if you believe if I do good, I get good, if I do bad, I get bad, if you believe that life B are the variables and factors for which you to gauge whether you have a good life or a bad life, then you're, you're, you're one of the ones where that seed got stolen away 
or choked out or just died, you are understanding a lie. So you are misunderstanding, which means it will never grow into fruit in your life. Doesn't mean you're not saved necessarily or in a state of grace. What it probably does mean is God isn't going to be able to use you for what he wants to use you once you get to the end, turn back around and help the next person in line, all right? And Satan is going to be allowed to kind of steal your victory in this life. So instead of joy and peace in the middle of pain, you're going to have pain without joy and peace, with anxiety, anger, fear, Instead of uh, the peace that passes understanding, no matter what your circumstances, you're going to be totally at the mercy of your circumstances. Things go good, you feel happy. Things go bad, you feel sad, angry, low self-worth, rejection, whatever. Okay? So, believing and understanding the truth is what leads to either uh, wonderful things blooming out of your life or nothing good blooming out of your life, maybe even things kind of shriveling up and um, going to the negative. But does not necessarily mean saved or not. Okay, that's determined by what you believe in your heart about Jesus, God, your commitment, uh, Lord and Savior or not, etc. Okay, let's go, let's go here next before we flip the board for this week. Responsibility versus accountability. I believe scripturally we are not supposed to be responsible. Okay? Um, what does responsibility mean? Well, it, it, it means a lot of things. But let's... let's uh, Let's try to make it as simple as we can. Response-ability. It's really two words. Response-ability. The ability to respond. Okay? Well, what if my parents said, hey, we're going to the store. Alex, we want you to stay inside. Uh, keep an eye on the kitchen because mom's got some stuff cooking and we've been having trouble with stove, blah, 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 okay? So I say, sure. I don't really understand it, but I say, sure, okay. I'll stay in here. I'll go in there every once in a while, check on it, and y'all be back in an hour or so. And all of a sudden, 30 minutes into them being gone, the kitchen's on fire, okay? Um, I, I, I wasn't paying it enough attention or I checked five minutes earlier but in the five minutes I left the fire flamed up okay but something happened and even though I said I would stay there to prevent a fire there is a fire okay is that my fault well, according to my parents, it may very well be. But if we use this as a spiritual analogy or metaphor, is something like that my fault to God? God tells me, don't lust, don't lie, don't steal, don't... Okay? And I find myself lusting and lying and stealing, which I have done in my life. All of those and more, way more. Okay? In fact, Jesus said... 
If you've done it in your heart, you've done it. If you've committed adultery in your heart, if you've lied in your heart, if you've stolen in your heart, if you've murdered in your heart, you're guilty of it. Okay? All right? According to the law. All right? But Jesus came to bring grace. Okay. I do not believe Jesus holds me, God holds me responsible for the lust, the lie, the stealing. Why? Because he knew before the foundations of the world that I was not response-able in all situations. I was not response-able 100% of the time. He knew all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's not of works. It is of grace, lest someone should boast. Okay? Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundations of the world. God, if I could do it right 100% in every situation, Jesus wouldn't have needed to come and die. Okay? There would be no need for grace. There would be no guilt. Well, there would be guilt of people who chose the guilt and sin. But for those of us who chose not to because we have the ability to do that 100%, we are not guilty on the basis of our own merit. But Scripture says there's not one person who's ever lived who's in that situation. No one has done it on their own merit. Neither can they. Why? Because they are not response-able to that degree. Well, why does it have to be that degree? Because God is love. God is light. In Him is no darkness at all. And, the, and I believe, scripturally, the reason God started this whole thing was to have wonderful, intimate, loving relationships with me, with you, with anyone and everyone who would choose love. Given the free will choice of love versus self or whatever. Okay? But God is God. He doesn't love. He is love. Big difference. I love sometimes, sometimes I don't. God is love. I believe he's incapable of anything but love. Okay? But he chooses. I believe he also chooses love. Okay? Um, if God didn't choose love, then how could he be love? There would be no other choice. And remember, if you eliminate the choice to not love, you eliminate love. So there must be in God a possibility of not loving or would he even be love? Because does that exist if there's no other choice or possibility? All right? So I believe God is love, but he also chooses love. Okay? Where we don't. And he wants a relationship with us, not only here, but particularly in eternity. For a hundred thousand million years and we're just getting started. And that was the point all along. Alright? And that's the real life. 
This is the preliminary. All right? So, God knew I am not response-able, at least to the degree I need to be, to be in intimate, loving, eternal, long-term relationship with God. Okay? So, if that's going to happen, something has to pay for that for me, which is what Jesus did. Now, what I believe God does ask of me is to be accountable. What does the word accountable mean? Able to give account. So these are two very different things. This one is able to respond in the correct way. This one is not that. This one is being able to tell what happened. So in this one, I am able to prevent fire. You know, I'm a, I'm a Marvel superhero. So mom and dad are gone to the store, the kitchen flames up in fire, but as soon as I notice it, I, whew, with my superhero power, and the fire is gone. No, I don't have that kind of responsibility. I'm a human being, limited by gravity and inertia and all kinds of stuff, my own strength and lack of, okay? I don't have that kind of ability to respond to difficult and maybe huge situations. I always have the ability ability to give an account, and that's what God asks is for me to give an honest, confessing and repentant type of account. Yeah, you left me. I was checking on it every few minutes, but evidently I, I, I was out of there too long, and when I went back, the kitchen was on fire. I did my best to put it out, but um, and it's still flaming up in a place or two, and my mom and dad are hitting it with towels and the fire extinguisher and stuff like that. Um, and I'm trying to give an account, to tell them what happened. Okay, why well, I was not able to do the action that they asked and that I wanted, maybe even tried to do, okay, you are not supposed to be responsible, I don't believe, from Scripture for your sin. You are supposed to be accountable. God, His plan, is that he will give you the response ability, dying grace. Okay? Uh, that's Isaiah 40. Wait on the Lord, and you will exchange your strength for his. Now, that's not what most translations say, but that's what the original says, I am told. Okay? It's not you will... Um, um, it's not that you will wait on the Lord and you will get 20% more strength out of that waiting. Or you'll wait on the Lord and He will give you a little packet of energy that makes you able to do it. No, no, no. That's not the picture that Scripture paints. The picture that Scripture paints is dying grace, is that God gives you that when you are in Him, and He is in you, okay, you're in a state of grace, He gives you the power 
to do the job that needs to be done. Whether that's taking out the garbage, whether that's a very difficult confrontation, you have to have and try to do it in a loving, kind way. Whether that's doing a job at work at your absolute best rather than just getting by, um, etc. All right? Um, he expects me to do my best, to give control to him, to receive his power, and then to do the best I can with his power rather than my power, and to be able to give an account. The responsibility power is God's all the time. The power I have in my flesh is from God. I would fall over in the next 10 seconds if God took away my breath. Okay? And a lot of other possible situations. Okay? Now, I said one thing about predestination last week that I wanted to disclaim a little bit. I said, okay, so do you want to be predestined? If so, choose that in the next 60 seconds or day or whatever, and you can be. That may be wrong. I'm, 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 I'm rethinking and praying that, okay? Um, here's why. The passage from Romans 8 says, Those whom the Lord foreknows, he predestined, he called, he etc. Right? Well, grammatically, that would mean that there are some whom God does not call. He does not foreknow. He does not predestine. He does not justify and glorify. Now, that could be people he knows will not respond to him, like we talked about last week. But I think it's also possible that there could be some believers, some, some uh, people that um, come to him later in their life, maybe some people that come to him right at the very end of their life. Um, there's a dispute that Charles Darwin, on his deathbed, um, claimed Jesus is Lord and Savior, asked him to come into his life, and prayed to God. Okay. Now, there's also people who say that never happened. I, I don't know if it did or not but I believe it could happen right at the very end, that almost that point of death that someone commits to God for the first time, and, and, and they are now saved. Well, were they predestined? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe God chose not to foreknow about that person. I don't know. That's above my pay grade. <laughs> All right? God is God and I am not. All right? That's from Rudy, one of my favorite lines. Uh, uh, after, I, I think he said something like, after 30 or 40 years of uh, scriptural studies, I've learned two incontrovertible truths. There is a God and I'm not him. Okay? It's above my pay grade. But I do believe it's possible that some God chooses to foreknow and some he doesn't. Maybe some he says, let's wait and see. All right? Another thing, if, if um, God does predestine, 
does he maybe about one person say, you know what, they're kind of a really sensitive person, which can be a wonderful thing. But if they are in too difficult a circumstance, like uh, someplace in Africa where there's no food or water, or someplace in the Middle East where there's terrible fighting and poverty going on, or, or, or something like that, is it possible that maybe God would say, you know what, they will, they will answer my call, but with their sensitive heart, if they're put in a place like that, it may demolish them, and they may not be able to live the life I want them to live or, the, or their best life or anything else, so I'm going to put them in a little better situation where they can bloom. Is it also possible God may think or say, okay, this person who's going to answer my call Woo, boy, what a lion heart. Man, they are tough as nails and resilient and all kinds of stuff. You know what? I'm going to put them in this really difficult circumstance, and I'm going to enjoy watching them overcome it and break out and, and bloom out of that place. All right? Um, is that true? I don't know. Is it possible, based on how that scripture reads, for those whom? I think it's possible, all right? But the main thing here is we don't have to know that, all right? It's not our job to judge. Um, I, I went to a meeting one time uh, that was with several uh, Christians, believers, followers of Jesus, and I went because my spiritual mentor was going to speak to this um, Christian who had a very different view from my mentor. And we were going to discuss it kindly, lovingly, and we did. We did. Anyway, it was, an interest, it was a fascinating conversation because the gentleman we were going to meet kept asking questions, one right after another. Well, what do you think this scripture means? Well, what do you think that scripture means? Well, what about this? What if, what if in that situation? And my mentor was answering those questions, and then the person got to this place where they said, ah, this big smile came on his face. And he sat back in his chair, relaxed, took a deep breath, ah, and he said, you're a premillennialist. What that means is people who believe that Scripture teaches that when Jesus comes back, he's going to reign for a thousand years on earth. Some people believe that that's what's going to happen. Some people read the same Scripture in Revelation and believe that's not what's going to happen. All right? Well, this person was just so thrilled that they had labeled this other person. Ah, you're a premillennialist. You know, we love to label, but you got to stop that, all right? All right? Don't judge. To the degree that you judge, you will be judged, okay? Judgments for God and small children, all right? So, what's the point of that? The point is whether we're predestined 
or not is really not that huge an issue. We'll find out someday. The total truth about it. That's 1 Corinthians 13. Now you know in part. Then you shall fully know, even as you are fully known now. Okay, again, there is a God. I'm not him. All right, but is that possible? Okay, so I just wanted to make that disclaimer sort of thing. It may, it may be that you choose God, claim Jesus as your Lord and Savior, ask him to come into your heart, commit to him as best you can, okay? But you're still not predestined because God chooses not to foreknow what you're going to do the rest of your life, okay? But you would still be in a state of grace because that's what you've chosen, all right? But there obviously are people, based on Romans 8, that God does choose to foreknow, call, um, justify, glorify, etc. All right, but I may have misspoken about you can choose tomorrow to be predestined. That's really God's choice, not ours. We'll find out someday the total truth. Okay, so just wanted to clean that up. All right, now let's uh, go a little bit further and then we'll be done. All right, all this stuff's still the same. It's all about your beliefs, value, identity, worth. Uh, anatomy of love and anatomy of belief. It's about fear, belief in love versus fear of death. Um, love be versus self-interest. I want to talk about that in just a second. Um, a good friend of mine, an extremely smart individual, absolutely brilliant. Uh, I'm not really famous. This person's famous, all right? Uh, multiple Number one New York Times best-selling books. I mean, if I said the name, you'd immediately know who the person is. And the person writes, teaches, consults, counsels that self-interest is the key to life. A successful life. A happy life. All right? And they would argue with me, which they have in a kind way, that, um, that that is absolutely true because self-interest can be, I think love is the most important thing in life, and so I choose love, all right? And, he, and, and that person's right about that. That's true. You can choose that, all right, in self-interest, okay? That's how I'll get the most of what I want and the littlest of what I don't want, all right? Here's the difference. If you're choosing that in self-interest, even if every word you say sounds exactly the same as the person who's doing it in real love, if you're doing it in self-interest, when the storms come, and they always come, when the storms come, and there's too much pain or too little pleasure, you will abandon your commitment. And you will go back to trying to control the end results in order to get more pleasure or less pain. 
happens every single time. The pain, the storm will come. And if this is why you're doing, if, if this is why you're acting loving, you will stop acting loving. Okay? So that's what's different, is it is a completely different commitment. I'm committing to me, basically, when I commit to self-interest. In love, I'm committing to God or the other person. And no matter what happens with the love, with the pleasure or pain, I'm, I'm not changing my commitment because that's not what I was committed to. I was committed to the people, not just to pleasure and pain for me. Okay, I have a question for you that uh, hopefully you'll be able to answer. Uh, now that we've gotten to this point in our walk together, can a righteous person do anything they want to do? What do you think? Can a righteous person do anything they want to do? I believe the answer to that is yes. Well, wait a minute. What if they decide to sin intentionally? We've already read New Testament and Old where God says, I will not count their sin against them. Blessed is the man whose sin is not counted against him, ever. And New Testament, he will not count their sins against them. Who? If you're in a state of grace. If you're right with God and Jesus, okay? So if I'm righteous and I want to lie, even though I have a conflicting belief that says don't lie, but I choose to lie, yes, I can do that, and I am still, even while I'm telling the lie, and right after, I'm still in a state of grace. So, if I'm in a state of grace and I can do anything that I want to do, do I have the freedom where I can just kind of relax and let go and say, hey man, I win no matter what. This is a rigged game. This is a rigged life and it's rigged for me to win. I mean, what if you had a football game where the, it, ha, it was rigged, the referees were paid off, and it was a foregone conclusion one team was going to win? Well, the team that's going to win is probably going to feel pretty good about that, all right? Well, I've got a rigged life. It's been rigged so that I win, no matter what, even with intentional sin, even with chronic pain, even if I don't get the pleasure I want. I still win. Let me tell you, that is freedom. That's almost like saying you can drive a car and it is going to be arranged that you can never have a wreck. So if you wanted to, you could drive blindfolded. Miraculous things are going to happen so that you can never wreck and get hurt. Well. I can sin, and I can get hurt, and I can have negative things happen, but God does tell me 
that I win no matter what. As long as I'm right with him in the ways that we've been talking about. Let me ask you a question. Let's say you're by yourself, or or not, but there's some situation and you have a, a situation where you can do what you think is right or do what you think is not right, where you can sin or not sin, okay? But you choose to sin, okay? Well, let me ask you a question about that. Would you still sin if Jesus was right there with you physically? You know the answer to that. No. You've, you've thought that probably a hundred times. Before a sin, during a sin, after a sin, if Jesus was here, or if this was the day I knew the Lord was coming back, I wouldn't do this. Okay? So if that's true, why do I do it? Okay? If, if I would not do it, if Jesus or God were here, then why do I do it? One of two reasons. I either don't really believe in God and Jesus and grace and God's plan of love and scripture. and I, Either I don't really believe that. I, and I may not know that I don't believe it, but me, my thoughts, feelings, emotions, actions can tell me that I don't believe that, okay? So I either don't believe it, or it's time. That thing where um, time was invented because of belief, because everything boils down to belief. The other possibility is that I'm thinking, I've got time. I can do this now, and then I'll repent. And I'm going to quit doing it, but... It's going to really feel good for a few minutes, and I need something to feel good for a few minutes. I'll quit later. I'll repent later. I will. Okay. It, it's one of those two reasons. The problem is, he is here. <laughs> the mystery of the ages is that Jesus and I are one. He is in me here. I'm seated with him in the heavenlies. Revelation 1, John's vision of the throne room, and John was there with Jesus. He was terrified. Said Jesus was, uh, his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. His face was like the sun at midday. And John was terrified to the point that he fell at his feet as if he were dead. And it says Jesus put his hand on him and said, fear not. It is I, the one who was dead and is now alive forevermore, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. So fear not. I'm here. So he is here. God is here. God is all and in all, which means he's in me, which means he's in this room. All is all. God is all and in all. And the, and the gift of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He indwells me, leads, guides, comforts, counsel, fruits of the Spirit, all that stuff. Brings life and health to my mortal body. Okay, he is here. So I've got to change 
how I view the situation from he's not here to he is here, from I've got time to no, I've got to live like there is no time. Because time is related to belief and time is what gets me tripped up and causes me to act on a wrong belief. So I've got to dismiss time and say, no, 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 no. Time is what trips me up. Time was invented for this life and faith and belief. So I've got to dismiss the time element and just say, is it right or is it wrong? And Jesus is here. So am I still going to do it with him right here, God right here, the Holy Spirit right in me, etc. You've got to change the way you think about it from what is not true to what is true according to what God says. Okay. Um, okay, here comes a big one. If this predestination stuff is true, why does God put the people that do not respond to his call, who will not accept his love, that are going to live and seek pleasure, avoid pain, selfishness, no matter what. Why does God even put them through that? Why does God allow pain and suffering? Why does he put them through that? Okay, maybe it makes sense. He allows pain and suffering on those of us who are predestined and we are going, we are saved, we are in a state of grace, we are going to be with Him in heaven because we're a work in progress and we want to keep growing and growing and growing so that we're in even better relationship with God, others, ourselves, because relationship's what it's all about. I mean, that makes sense, but the ones that are either going to be damned to hell, whatever hell is, or lost, or just being dead in the field, or whatever, those, those who don't win because they choose self-interest, okay? Why does God put them through that? That pain and suffering. Why does he not just do one of two things? Either start the judgment from day one, because he knows what's going to happen if he chooses to. So why does he make us go through all this? Why does he not just go straight from before the foundations of the world to the judgment? Because if he chooses, he can know what every single person is going to do in every single situation, whether they're going to heed his call or not, whether they're going to be justified and glorified or not, saved or not, in grace or not. I mean, he not, so why put them through that pain and suffering? Why not just go straight to judgment? Or, better yet, why not just not even create them in the first place? Because he knows they're going to go through pain and suffering. What do you think about that? Well, again, please remember, I can disagree with anything and everything Alex says, okay? I need to say that again here, because I'm going to take a step, and I hope I'm not stepping over the line. I'm not telling you what is true. I'm telling you my opinion right now. All right. I believe it's the nature of God. 
he chooses love. Even though he is love, he could still choose fear. I believe. The reason I believe that is because if he has no choice, if he has no choice to choose fear or any of the negative stuff, love requires a choice. So does that eliminate love? Which it can't because it says he is love. So maybe, big maybe, just think and pray about it for yourself, the nature of God requires, if he's going to do this thing with us human beings, to give us a choice. And the only thing that would eliminate choice is if he never created that person in the future because he knew how they were going to respond. That would take away their choice. And that's the one thing, I believe, maybe, that love can't do. Because to take away the choice to do something other than love eliminates the possibility of love, and love is what it's all about. It says we are made in the image of God. And that also would make me think that God can choose something other than love. But just like Jesus was tempted in all things and yet sinless, God always chooses love. I believe that. You decide what you believe. But, 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 this is sort of like that um, premillennial thing. That's not a heaven or hell issue, okay? If, God, if Jesus is going to reign for a thousand years and you believe, no, nah, I don't think that's what's going to happen, you're not damned to hell for that. <laughs> if you believe that God um, is going to reign for a thousand years, you don't get extra stars because of that, I don't think. All right? It's something that maybe is not completely definitive because scholars disagree about it, all right? We're going to find out someday. Well, I think that's the situation, too, with this predestination. Is, yeah, God tells us about it, but he doesn't really go into a ton of detail about how it works. And maybe that's because people like me shouldn't be focusing too much on trying to figure that out. If, I was, if we were supposed to figure it out, he would have given us more teaching and clue, all right? So I may be doing something right now that would be better for me not to do. And, and if I am, I apologize. Please forgive me. So I hope I'm not confusing the heck out of you. Um, okay. Uh, an example on why, why would God put somebody through that? if he knew the outcome. The Olympics are going on right now. The uh, 20, 20, uh, they're actually the 2021 Olympics because it's 2021, but they call them the 2020 Olympics because of the pandemic and they were supposed to be in 2020, but they're going on right now. Well, um, what if you, 
I, I mean, the people who go into the Olympics, all right, one of, one of the biggest stories in the Olympics going on right now is that Simone Biles of the United States gymnastics team, the number one gymnast female in the world, I think she's won the last four or five world championships. I think she never lost a, a meet or something like that. I mean, I don't know all the details, but is considered the GOAT, greatest of all time, and was a runaway pick to win. Uh, the United States was supposed to win the team. She was supposed to win the all-around, and they were supposed to win. It's supposed to basically be a victory celebration for the U.S., the whole Olympics. But Simone Biles, on her first um, vault, got confused, disoriented, um, did, did it poorly to the point that it scared her, and she pulled out of the competition, and it was headline news everywhere. It's headline news everywhere right now, okay? Well, everybody thought she was predestined, so to speak, to win all those gold medals, but that's not how it worked out, okay? So there's no way we can know these things. We have to just deal with whatever circumstance we're confronted with in the current situation, okay? But you wouldn't say to the other gymnast, oh, you might as well not even compete because Simone is going to win it. She's, you know, no, we don't know that. And as it turned out, that's not what happened at all. The U.S. didn't win the team. She didn't win the all-around. I mean, almost none of the stuff everybody thought was predestined happened. Something else happened, okay? Well, God's the only one that knows all this and says, hey, today you see in part, someday you'll fully know, but not now. I'm God, you're not. Okay. Um, okay. Then we've got to get to the issue, and I'm about to wrap this up, of punishment. Okay. If God knew someone was not going to heed the call, and he would, because of that, punish them for not heeding the call because they had a homing device in them for God. We've never discovered a civilization that didn't worship something, all right? Even though there's more evidence, maybe, that God doesn't exist than there is because we can't see him. And, and typically, whatever there's the most evidence is what we believe the most. But not in this. In this, it's the opposite. And there aren't many situations like that. Maybe only this one. Okay? But if them not heeding his call is going to mean he has to punish them. Oh, my goodness. Um, why would he still go through with that? Well, Scripture says that God desires all to come, all to come to repentance, all to come to Jesus, all to be saved, all to enter into a state of grace. And the call goes out. Anyone can respond to it, okay? So he desires it for everyone. I think the place we get off track here, thinking about punishment, is that we think God chooses to punish that person. 
who did not heed the call, who did not follow their homing device to God, who chooses seek pleasure, avoid pain, selfishness, even though they believe in their heart, another choice would be the right one, the better one, the win-win, the, the fairer one, the, the whatever, all right? Well, this is not God's choice. This is the person's choice. Okay? What God did was give them, he created them in his own image, gave them free will, and let them go. And said, okay, I've got a homing device in them. I've got them programmed for both love and fear, for both truth and falsehood. So it's going to be their choice, okay? And maybe God intervenes to try to um, nudge them one way or another, lead them, guide them one way or another, all right? But it always, 100% of the time, boils down to your choice, not God's choice. And remember, there won't be anyone in hell, whatever hell is, because of sin. The price has been paid for everyone in all of history backwards, in all of history forwards, the present. The price has been paid for everyone for sin. It's paid for. It's a done deal. You don't have to be punished. You don't have to um, go to hell, whatever that is. You don't have to. It's your choice. And it is your choice with programming built into you to know the difference in right and wrong, in love and fear, in what is fair and best for all versus just what you want. Okay? You've got that built into you. All right? So having that built into you, you either choose what you believe is right or what you believe is wrong. And if you choose what you believe is wrong, I believe God grieves over that. I believe it hurts him, literally. He may weep for you. He may, I believe he tries every way he can without messing up the love-fear system where it is your choice. He, I believe he, with every person, does what he believes is everything he can to try to get them to choose what they know is right. But if they still choose what they believe is wrong, I believe that's where that's where the end game falls apart. And they end up outside of relationship with God, outside of a state of grace, and literally they have chosen to not be in a place of love. They've chosen that. That is the choice. Okay? Um, it's, it's not about me doing it right. It's about me choosing love or fear. It's about me choosing God or self. It's about me choosing you or me. Okay? And I know inside what I believe is right. 
in those situations. Unless I've done them so much that now my conscience is seared and I can't really, I'm having trouble getting that right and wrong thing. But if I, even there, if I come back and try, that conscious thing will come back and I will be able to discern what is right and wrong, what is love, what is selfish. Okay, uh, you probably all heard the deal where, um, I don't know if it's a saying or in a poem or what, but you've got a bird in a cage. How do you know if it's really your bird? As the saying, poem, whatever it is goes, you've got to let the bird go. If it comes back to you, it's yours. If it doesn't come back to you, it never was yours. Okay? And I believe that's exactly what God does. He creates us. He loves us. He uh, builds all of this stuff into what we need. We know what's right and wrong, etc. And then he lets us go. And from then on, it's our choice. If we choose him and love, state of grace, if we don't, we are choosing not to love. And maybe that's what hell is. It's just an absence of love and God. I don't know. I, I have no idea, okay? Um, I don't really believe it is actual fire. Um, we're going to have a different body then. I don't know if it would, how it would respond to fire. We're not told that, okay? But maybe it is. But, but at least it's the absence of love and God. Okay? Well, that's exactly what you chose. You had love and God. You had self or what's win-win-win. You chose fear. You chose self. All right? Well, God's given you what you chose. All right? And I think it grieves him. I think it hurts him. He wanted all to come, including you. He wanted to be in loving relationship with you. But to force that would eliminate love, which he can't do because it's the point of the whole thing. And if he acted out of love, God would be acting wrongly as well, maybe. I believe that's a possibility. Okay, and he's not going to do that. He chooses love just like we're supposed to choose love. Only he can do it perfectly, we can't. But he's paid the price for our mess-ups. Okay? So because that price is paid, I can be in loving, intimate relationship with him, even though I don't really measure up because he's paid the price. But in spite of that, if I reject him, then I get what I choose. A life and maybe eternity without God and without love. Or whatever that is. Okay. So, I hope this is as clear as mud. <laughs> um, again, sorry for it being so long, but um, man, I feel like I've got to get this 
as right as I possibly can. And I know how difficult it was for me to wrap my head around all this stuff, okay? So whether you're predestined or not, you can still be in a state of grace. And whatever the outcome for your life, it's your choice. What God desires is loving, awesome, intimate relationship with you here and now. And then in a perfect situation, better than the Garden of Eden forever. Okay? All right. Have a wonderful, blessed day.